So the first time that I preached a sermon in a church uh, was many years ago. I was a senior in high school, and it was the church I grew up in up north. And every year, our church would put on a sunrise service on Easter Sunday. And it was the student ministry's responsibility to lead that service. So we would cover the worship music and the scripture reading and all the parts of it, and I got elected to preach the sermon. And I felt pretty good about it going in. But the church that we were at is a little bit smaller than this, a couple hundred people, and the way that the, the front was set up was we kinda had two areas. And one was for the pastor off to the side, like a pulpit area, and the other side had things for scripture reading and the announcements and, and that sort of thing. Those two were the only areas that had microphones. And it was a relatively, like I said, small church, so when I got up, one thing that I tend to do is I kinda move a lot when I speak, and I knew that's what was gonna be coming, so I stepped down from the pulpit area and walked out and began to speak, but what I said first was, I wanna to apologize to those of you in the back because I'll probably move a lot, and I speak pretty quickly, and so I'm sorry if you can't hear what I say. I'll do my best to adequately communicate it to you. And then I went on with the sermon and finished, and I think it went pretty well. And afterwards, when people were coming and greeting and we were sharing and lots of handshakes and that sort of thing, one of the deacons in our church that everybody knew and respected walked up, grabbed my hand, and he was a big guy, and he said, Never start a sermon with an apology. And he walked away. I was kind of hoping for a little bit more of a pat on the back, but the funny thing is that's what stuck with me all these years later. And yet despite that excellent advice, I'm gonna start this morning with an apology. Because some of you may have noticed that we're working through the book of Deuteronomy and we're up to the point with the 10 Commandments. And as Pastor Jim explained a few weeks ago, some of these are gonna be out of order. We've had some mission trips, as we mentioned, we've had some vacation and some adjustments to the preaching schedule, so if you've been keeping track in your notes and you got to the third commandment and then notice we skipped some, I apologize. Also, I'm probably still gonna move around a lot, so to our production team, I apologize there as well, but that's gonna happen. Hopefully that'll be the last apology uh, for this morning, but never know, we'll see. So we are working our way through Deuteronomy and we are in the fifth chapter. That's where we'll be spending some time this morning. We're looking at the fourth commandment and today it will be regarding the Sabbath. Now it's the longest commandment that is listed and it's very specific. And if I could ask you one more time to please stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. We'll be reading in Deuteronomy chapter five and we'll be taking verses 12 through 15. The word of the Lord says this. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you 
to keep the Sabbath day. Lord, as we read your word and begin to dig deeper into it, I pray that your Holy Spirit would teach us this morning, would reach us, and would open up our hearts to understand what you have for us to learn today. I pray that I will be faithful to your word and be accurate and that we would be honoring you through this time. It's in Jesus' name we ask all this, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. So remember the Sabbath, observe the Sabbath. You're probably familiar with the concept of something that we talk about for the most part a lot and especially comes up when you're discussing gathering on Sunday, should we observe it on Saturday, kind of where do we go with this? But if you're not familiar with Sabbath or what that means or kind of where this is coming from, let me give you a little bit of a history, just a short version. The word Sabbath that we use comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat. And Shabbat simply means to cease, to end, or to rest, to rest. In fact, you can still find some, um, uh, some connection to some other languages when you look at the days of the week. Again, typically Saturday is considered the last day of the week. Sunday would be the first day. And Saturday, when you look at the names, for example, in Spanish, the name for Saturday in Spanish is Sabado, which comes from Sabbath or Shabbat. It's the same in Italian and some other languages. And it's the emphasis on resting that we wanna look at today for our context. Because I think we would all agree that resting is a good thing. Right? We know that rest is important. We know that it's something we should all do. But does it really need to line up here with all the biggies? Right? Does, it, does it need to be in this list of the 10? Right? We have no other gods before me. Don't worship false idols. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't lie. Kind of seems like taking a day off is maybe out of place with the other nine commandments in the moral law. And that's usually the majority of the debate that we wade into when we're talking about honoring the Sabbath. If we're called to keep the moral law, if the 10 commandments are absolute and they're eternal, and I believe that they are, then what must we as Christians do about the Sabbath? I'm so glad you asked. This morning we'll spend a few minutes, we'll dig into scripture, we'll look at the establishment of the Sabbath and the practical applications for today. So I believe there are three things that we need to do when we start looking at the Sabbath. Three things that we should do. And they're listed in your notes. And the first one is to remember. Remember. Little pop quiz for you before we get rolling through this. How many of each animal did Noah take into the ark? I thought about messing with you and saying Moses just to see if you'd catch it, but I'm not going there. How many did Noah take into the ark, right? You guys remember the song? Animals that came in, came in by twosies, twosies. Elephants and kangaroos. I really thought you guys would go with me on that kangaroosies part. Okay, guess it's just me. Two by two, right? That's the answer, of course, two. But according to Genesis chapter seven, the Lord commanded Noah to bring in a pair of unclean animals and seven of the clean animals. Now, most scholars believe that seven pairs of unclean animals, a few translations render it seven unclean animals. Regardless, that's, that's not the point. The point is, how did Noah know which were clean animals and which were unclean animals? Because the law had not been given yet. See, that must have been something that was established before the flood in creation. And that's the first thing to notice about this commandment about the Sabbath. 
it says in this rendering in Deuteronomy, observe, observe the Sabbath day. My Spanish is coming out. Observe the Sabbath day. But the word observe can also be translated keep or remember. In Exodus, it does say remember the Sabbath day. And to remember means that it's something that was already known. The Sabbath was not established with the Ten Commandments. It was ordained in creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. For six days, he spoke creation into existence, and on the seventh day, he rested. And today is not the time to debate whether those were 24-hour periods of time or eons of time. Regardless, it's the pattern. Six days of work and the seventh day of rest. Now, did God need to take a day off? I don't think so. I don't think he needed to catch his breath or put his feet up. I believe the omnipotent creator did not need a recuperation day. However, he was establishing the pattern of six days of labor and one that was to be set apart, one that was to be different, one that was to be something else. Pastor Jim already mentioned in the introduction to the commandments that the practice of gathering manna also establishes the pattern of a Sabbath rest. When the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness after they left Egypt, God provided food for them. Each day they would gather enough food for their family for that day, no more, no less, because it would spoil. And the next morning, there would be more on the ground. This is an example showing the power and the provision of the all-powerful God, that they were to rely on God for what they needed, not on their own strength. And so he gives this example of Sabbath, because on the sixth day, they were to gather twice as much food so that they could rest on the next day. And this comes from Exodus chapter 16, which is four chapters before the Ten Commandments were given on Mount Sinai. So again, this pattern is established and something they can remember. God is placing the priority here on remembering, on observing what the people already knew how to do. And this is a pattern that God continues in other ways as well. All throughout the scriptures, God will take the time to say, remember, remember, remember what I've done. Remember what the Lord your God has done. Remember where you were and remember where you've been brought and remember going forward. Why? Because I believe he knows when the hard times come, when the challenges show up, when things get difficult, that's the time to remember the power of the Lord. We tend to forget the power of God when things are going great, when we have no difficulties whatsoever, but then when the challenges pop up and bad news comes, we say, what do we do now? God says, remember. Remember what I provided for you in the past. God gives this instruction to the Israelites when Joshua leads them into the promised land and they tells the people to consecrate themselves because tomorrow the God, God will do great things among you. He leads them down with the Ark of the Covenant to the Jordan River, which is overflowing at this time of the year. And as he leads them down to the river and the feet of the priests touch the Jordan River, the water stops and the people cross on dry land. That's another sermon. On dry land they cross. And they get to the other side and God says, now I need you to take 12 stones from this riverbed and pull them out and build a monument here. Why? Because God says, look what I did. No, build the monument so that when you or your children 
or visitors see this and they say, what is this monument you've built? You can say, well, let me just tell you, because it was pretty awesome. God brought us through the Jordan River. He stopped the water flowing and our feet didn't even get muddy. That's the God we serve. That's the reminder. And I think that's what's being given here. It's the reminder of what God has done. And here in Deuteronomy, again, the word is translated observe or keep the Sabbath. And that implies more of an active tense. We're invited to do something with that. It's not just a mental remembrance, but a physical observance of what we're supposed to partake in. The second thing we're called to do is to rest. The rest is not something we typically have a problem with. That's the easy one, good, day off, sounds awesome, let's do that. But are we resting the right way? Are we, are we resting the right way? We all know our bodies were designed to recuperate. We need time to recharge. And it's not just for us. This is the way God designed it from the beginning. Since this was established in creation, I don't think this was something that happened after the, the flood or after the fall. I think this was something that was, our bodies needed early on from the very beginning. And it's not just us. It's animals, it's plants, it's the land, right? God established a pattern of Sabbath years. He instructed the people to plant and, or sow and, and reap for six years. And on the seventh year, you let their land rest. You let it replenish itself. You bring back the nutrients into the soil. Now, you don't have to follow that, but I think that's the best way to see your crops grow. And God knows that, and he establishes the same pattern for us, six and one, six and one. A quick internet search will tell you that rest heals your body, it buffers your immune system, it reduces stress, it boosts creativity, it improves productivity, it enhances decision making, it promotes better sleep, on and on and on. We know that we need rest. Professional athletes have a training schedule that includes adequate rest. Pilots, truck drivers, train engineers, boat captains, all have restrictions that require rest periods. But that can be a challenge for some of us. Some people are workaholics. Some people say, I can't take the day off. I don't have time. I, too much will go wrong if I, if, I, if I stop doing what I need to do. And this goes back a long time as well. Benjamin Franklin said, quote, he that can take rest is greater than he that can take cities. It can be a challenge for us, even though we agree we need it. But see, rest doesn't mean that you have to sit in an empty room staring at a blank wall. It does mean that you need to be intentional about what you're doing to disconnect from the work in your life. That's the important part. You have to be intentional about removing that from the work, whatever that means to you. Pastor Dan Davis, who's at our Spanish Trail campus, preaching this exact same message right now, says, no one accidentally rests. And I think that's true. I think you need an intentional space and keep a consistent plan in place for your rest, or it likely won't happen. You'll get into taking little bits of rest here and there, and that's not what we're called to do. We have to be intentional about our weekly pattern. And I think that rest is important, and that's why God includes it in this list. He doesn't just say, observe the Sabbath and keep it holy, period. He goes on to describe it further. 
Look back with me at verse 13. He said, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day, that's a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. Being a dad, my family will be quick to tell you that I tend to use a lot of words at home as well, not just here. And one of the things I try to do when I explain what I want them to do, for example, I need you to clean your room. That means I need you to take all your dirty clothes off the floor and put them into the laundry basket. If the clothes are clean clothes, I want you to take your clean clothes and either hang them back up in the closet where you got them from or fold them up neatly and put them back in a drawer. If you see shoes on your floor, I need you to take them out, find the match, put them back in the closet where they were originally. This trash is over in the corner. That needs to be thrown away. So make sure you gather all that, bring it out of the room, take it to the trash can, put it in the trash can, make sure it gets out where it needs to go and on and on and on. Because I know if I just told my kids, your room, they'd say, eh, it's clean. <laughs> and I feel like that's a little bit what God is doing here as our father. Because we may want to go back and ask him, remember the Sabbath, got it. Ah, uh, quick question. What if God says, no, 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 I need you to take a rest so that you, your sons, your daughters, your servants, your visitors, your animals, everybody's resting. Got it, Lord. But in if there's this one time, no, no, listen, I need you to rest. Okay, I think I got it. God says, no, I need you to rest. This is important. Why? Verse 15, God says, remember how I brought you out of the land of Egypt by my power. Therefore, keep the Sabbath. If you were here when Pastor Dustin Scott taught on thou shalt have no other gods before me, he mentioned that while the Israelites were in Egypt, there were the plagues that came and those 10 plagues that God brought actually went against all the gods that the Egyptians were worshiping. They were meant to show God's power, true God's power over their false gods. So this takes them back to the time they were in Egypt and remember, the Egyptian gods were not giving them any rest. They were putting more on them. They were making the burden they couldn't bear. And God says, I'm God and I'm giving you rest as a gift. Remember, when you were in Egypt, there was no rest. Now take the rest. And if you look at it in that way, what does that do with our perception? What does that do with our perspective of what God is giving us? Well, now it's a gift. Now it's a gift. Now it's not an order to do that we are gonna sit there begrudgingly and cross our arms and say, I don't wanna rest, I need to get to work. Now it's a chance for God to say, I'm giving you this as a gift. And we say, thank you, thank you. And to me, that's what's at the heart of this commandment. It's the heart, it's the attitude, which takes us to the third point, which is I believe we as Christians are called to revere the Sabbath, we're to revere it, we're to have reverence for it, we're to honor it. Reverence is defined as to regard with deep respect and awe. We honor, we adore, or we worship on the Sabbath because God is worthy of our worship. And I believe that that's the part we often miss 
when we're talking about this as Christians. If you look back at verse 12, it says, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. It's not the rules that are the key, it's the reason to keep it holy. That's what's vitally important. That's what changes the commandment from a rule to be followed to a matter of the heart, to the gratitude given back to the Lord. It's not are we honoring God with our time, but how are we honoring God with our time? If we go back to the question that we asked at the beginning, what are we, what must we as Christians do about the Sabbath? See, we, we tend to want a specific answer there. That's where the conversation goes. In preparing for this sermon, I asked uh, several people but their thoughts on the Sabbath, and we got a wide variety of answers. Well, do you have to follow the law for the Saturday? I mean, it's in the Ten Commandments, so the Saturday, we have to shut everything down. Well, Sunday is the Lord's Day. We're taking that. It starts to roll back into the rules. And that's why I'm not gonna give you a specific answer to that question that you're dying to know. Sorry. And there's the other apology. I'm not gonna give you the answer that you want to know because I'm not here to tell you the rules you need to follow to observe the Sabbath and keep it holy. Why not? Because we want a checklist of exactly what to do to obey the command. And I think that our heart may be in the right place. God gave us a law. We want to honor him. We want to follow it. I think that's a good thing to do. We should want to do that. But when we start looking for a set of instructions that covers every possible scenario that we can come up with when it's okay to do this and not okay to do that, then we're in danger of heading into a situation like they had in the ceremonial laws in the Old Testament. A few years back, I was asked to go to Israel and be part of a film crew that was interviewing uh, Messianic pastors, talking about their churches and some of the challenges they were facing. And it was a wonderful trip, they had a great time got to see some inspiring pastors in the churches they were trying to develop in a land that's very difficult, especially if you believe Jesus is the Messiah. It was wonderful. But on one of the last days we were there, we went back into our hotel, and I walked over to the elevators, and I went to go up to one, and the friend that I was with said, nah, don't use that one. And I said, what do you mean? He said, that's a Shabbat elevator. Now, some of you know where I'm going with this. I was not familiar with this concept at all, and so he explained to me that the Shabbat elevator is designed to stop on every floor and open its doors and close its doors without any buttons being pressed. So you had to wait till it got to the bottom floor, the doors opened up, you got on, it went to the first floor, opened up, closed, went to the second floor, opened up, closed, and you had to get off at your floor. And the reason behind that is because one of the ceremonial laws in the Old Testament, God told the people to not kindle a fire on the Sabbath. And so the interpretation of that rule today is that you can't press a button on an elevator because it will kindle a spark of electricity, which is the same as lighting a fire. So fortunately, they had another elevator that worked normally. But I don't, I don't share that to mock it. I'm not, I'm not here saying that, look how silly that was. I'm here to tell you that that's how strictly Jews today observe the law. They believe they can't touch a button on the Sabbath. Now, if I'm being completely honest, part of me admires that level of diligence and respect. I think that's pretty powerful. I do believe it's missing the point of 
the law that was given though. And again, not here to debate that, but I want to point out that when you start looking for loopholes, you can lose the lesson of the law. And that's what I wanna do here. Why was the law given? Why was the law given? Romans 5.20 tells us that the law came to increase the trespass. The law was given to make us more aware of our sins. God gave us the law as a standard of holiness to show us that we can't keep it. That no matter how many sacrifices we make and how hard we try, we can't ever get to that level of holiness that our God is. And when we think that we're getting close, when we think we're almost there, we say, well, I haven't murdered anyone, so that's good. I haven't stolen anything, nothing too big, really. I haven't given false testimony in court under oath. Does jury selection count? I don't know if that's... I kind of get along with my mom and dad most of the time. Anytime we think we're getting close to obeying God's law, Jesus comes along and he takes it up a notch. Remember when Jesus was teaching and he said, the law says don't murder, but if you have anger in your hearts toward a brother or a sister, you've committed murder in your heart already. The law says don't commit adultery, but if you look at another person with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery with them already. We can't even begin to follow the law completely once Jesus elevates it to a matter of the heart. And I believe we must do the same here with the Sabbath. To keep the Sabbath day holy is not just rest for us and a set of, of rules to obey to the letter of the law. It's a day to honor the Lord. It's a day to give thanks for his grace, for his gift, it's a day to put him above all things, a day to align our hearts back to the Father, a day to worship him in spirit and in truth. And yes, we gather as a church on the Lord's day, and I think that is important. That's a tradition, though. That's something that started in the New Testament. That's not the new version of the law. I think it's very important to gather as a church, to meet together, to honor God. But I think we need to take it a step higher. I think we need to go above and beyond in honoring a holy God. Have you examined your heart since you walked in the building this morning? Was everything going great from the parking lot on your way in? Everything rolling along smoothly this morning before you got here? Or could we change that up and honor God with our heart and our attitude, even when we leave this place. The law says observe the Sabbath. Jesus reminds us, keep it holy, and that it's a gift to us from the Father. Mark 2, 27, Jesus says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Well, it sounds like he's giving us a get-out-of-jail-free card. I don't think so. I think he's reminding us this is a gift to you now be grateful to the Father who gives it. By doing this, Jesus declares his authority over the Sabbath because Jesus is Lord. 
of the Sabbath. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. He says it in the Gospels in Mark 2 and Matthew 12. This is a situation where the disciples were kind of caught plucking grain in the field to eat and the religious leaders questioned Jesus about it and Jesus says, the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Then he explains why that was okay because of the heart of what was taking place. Jesus even gives us clearer examples of his authority. And several times throughout the Gospels, Jesus has run-ins with religious leaders about what he or the disciples are doing on the Sabbath. But one of my favorites is in Luke chapter 13. It's not in your notes, but it should be on the screens. And it says this, it's a time when Jesus was at the synagogue. In verse 10, this is Luke 13, verse 10, it says this. Now he, Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And he said these things and all his adversaries were put to shame and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. There's so much here in just this brief scenario. But notice a couple of things I wanna point out quickly. One, look at the ruler of the synagogue. We always point to him as the bad guy, right? He's indignant, he's angry at what just happened. And Jesus rightfully calls him out because his heart's not right. But I caution you because I look at that and I think, if I had been taught from birth to follow the law, and I had been given authority in the synagogue to make sure the law was maintained, would I have done anything different? Would I have done anything different other than to call out what just happened? Because it appears that law was broken. So be careful before we get too down on the ruler of the synagogue. I think he was following what he was instructed to do. That's the heart issue right there. But the, then we look at the woman, right? The woman, why was she at the synagogue on the Sabbath? Doesn't say. But what happened immediately after she received her healing? She glorified God. Her heart was right. There's the grace. There's the thankfulness for the gift of healing. There's the thankfulness for what just took place that she had been bound for 18 years. And who bound her, by the way? Sorry, different, different sermon. My point is, look at what her heart was. She was ready to receive that healing, and when she did, she glorified God, which is the point of the Sabbath. Look at Jesus. He says it's the heart that matters. Why was the work being done on the Sabbath? To glorify God. What was the result of the healing on the Sabbath? It was blessing for this woman and glory to God. And that's the purpose. That's the Sabbath keep it holy, to glorify God. The Sabbath commandment calls us to remember, to rest, and to revere 
or to keep it holy. But we can only do that in Jesus. Jesus fulfilled the law. Jesus completed the work. Jesus declared, it is finished. And then he rested. It's Jesus. And that's what I want you to see today about the Sabbath. Because when I take my own life and I look at it and I compare it up against the law, when I really honestly look at myself and I see anger toward others, I see lustful thoughts, I see lying lips, I see idols placed before God. And when I see my failure to keep a Sabbath rest holy and completely given to God, then my only reaction can be that of Peter's on the boat when he met the Lord. Peter said, depart from me. I'm a sinful man, O Lord. If I don't feel that, then I'm missing the point of the Sabbath. If I don't feel, forgive me, Lord, for not making more of you, I'm missing that point. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. I can't. I can't. But Jesus says, no, through me, you can. I fulfilled it. Not only is Jesus Lord of the Sabbath, but Jesus is our Sabbath rest. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. Hebrews 4 covers this very well, but just look at verses 9 and 10 with me. It says, So then there remains a Sabbath rest rests for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. There's your rest. You want to know what the Sabbath means? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. He said just as much. Matthew 11, verse 28. Come to me, all who labor, all who do work, all who are heavy laden with burdens, and I will give you rest. Watch me take it full circle. Observe the Sabbath and keep it holy. Participate in the rest Keep it holy. Remember Jesus. Because he is holy. It's, it's about the person, not the principle. What must we as Christians do about the Sabbath? We must honor 
Christ. And that's my challenge for you today. I won't give you the list of do's and don'ts to do on Sabbath. I'm gonna ask you to examine your heart. Are you glorifying God with your heart, with your words, with your actions? See, Jesus fulfilled the law. We're not under the curse of not keeping it. But God calls us to repent and live holy lives. See, Jesus will forgive a murderer who repents. Jesus will forgive an adulterer who repents. Jesus will forgive a liar who repents. And Jesus will forgive me when I repent. 